So thank you for tuning in once again to What's the Tease. Today, my guest is renowned burlesque and cabaret star, Chris Columbine. Welcome to What's the Tease, Chris. Thank you, Pillow, and hello. (laughs) Cool. So for all the listeners who may not be familiar with your work, this London-born showgirl combines the art of burlesque with her skills as a trained concert pianist. I want to get into just a little bit about uh, burlesque with you right off the cuff. Sure. Your first experience of burlesque came when seeing original pioneer of British burlesque Gwendolyn L'Amour perform. So after becoming friends, how did you get to know the industry whilst working as her assistant? Gwendolyn was amazing. I mean, she was... um she put so much into her work creatively, costume-wise, thematically. And um, as her assistant, I'd, um, I'd be backstage with her a lot, helping her with her costumes. But also, she would ask my opinion a lot of the time on um, what might work or not work in a show. Like, mm-hmm. say, with her bathtub routine, she's like, how about if I do this? Or does it work if I splash at this point or whatever? And it was, you know, it was, you know, was quite brave of her to ask me who was relatively um, young and experienced at the time. Mm -hmm. And I got to know, I felt like I really got to know sort of the ins of um, what it's like to create a show and all the little details that go with, you know, like where in the audience, is it better to move this side of the stage at this particular point when your your glove comes off and where do I throw it? And you've got to be careful not to, even technical things like, you've got to be careful not to throw it too far because then you might lose a glove because mm-hmm. an audience member might steal it. Um, I also really got into um, seeing how complex it is to create an act from scratch. You've got to think about it. I mean, if that's what you want to do and you want your own input and you, you want to create it as your baby. Mm-hmm. So you think of the music, you think of a theme, you think of a storyline, the costume. I also saw how, what a wide, at the time it was, what, 2003 and four. Mm-hmm. So it, burlesque was relatively unknown in the mainstream. I think even a lot of people weren't really aware of who Dita Von Teese was, was at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think going around with Gwendolyn, who was um, at, you know the original queen of British burlesque, I believe, mm-hmm. um, of the modern era, I just got to see how appealing to a mainstream audience burlesque could be. Mm-hmm. Like she performed for um, big events in um, the um, Longley Estate for the Marquis's birthday party. She would do. Um, she was opening up for Eddie Izzard's show at the end oh, of wow. two thousand and three. So that was very very mainstream. If you yeah. think about it, very wide audience. And um, you know, obviously, how tied in cabaret can be and burlesque can be with comedy because at the end of the day originally burlesque was a form of comedy mm-hmm. um it comes from the italian word burla from italian opera which was generally the um, joke side of the italian opera it was the the humorous side mm-hmm. um so yeah i really um got to see how much burlesque could work as a mainstream art form and i think with gwen it really inspired me and gave me hope of um, believing that I could do this and so many others also could do this and take it to um, a level where it was acceptable 
as, as an art form to be in clubs, theatres, festivals, events, private events, public events, whatever. And um, because of the element of strict tease in it, mm-hmm. whether or not it was taboo, wouldn't necessarily come into it. Yeah. I think it was, it's such a beautiful art form. It's funny, it's creative. It's, you, can, you can create something and turn it into anything. It's just all about being larger than life on stage and connecting with your audience. And I, I really learnt a lot from, I, I learnt so much from Gwen through that. Did you so. take any instruction at that time? Were there people in 2003, 2004 in the UK giving classes and that kind of thing? At the time, there was um, Joe King, who originally started the London School of Striptease, who I also believe had a um, comedy background. She, was, um, she had a class at Danceworks, which is um, quite a big dance school and studio in Bond Street in central London. Mm-hmm. And I know that she was someone else who really gave rise to a, an awareness of burlesque and cabaret and um, old-fashioned retro striptease. And, um, yeah, I, I think that between them and others, it really helped. I guess the, the next lot come forward, you know, I was one of them and um, it really made us believe that we could actually do this as a career mm-hmm. so yeah I mean it, it just feels like so long ago now you know it's, <laughs> sometimes it feels like it was just like a couple of years ago and it's like nope nope just like you know a maybe bit stick a one before it yeah stick a one before <laughs> it you know or even more who knows <laughs> yeah so yeah so I mean you began your piano training at 10 years old and earned yourself a BA honors degree in music. So at what yeah. point did you decide to incorporate your skills as a pianist to your burlesque routines? It was around about 2006 to 7 that I started um experimenting with burlesque shows and around about that time there was this um amazing little club um it was like a restaurant cabaret dinner in um chancery lane near the city of london mm-hmm. um it was it was strictly called it was burlesque entertainment whilst people sat down and had dinner it was a dinner show they had auditioned and recruited a set number of girls to do routines create routines so it was a great foundation for us all to make a start with our career develop ideas and actually earn a living at the same time because obviously the shows went on a weekly basis sometimes we were there two three four nights a week mm-hmm. and um, burlesque obviously was starting to become more and more um, known and I just me being me was like right okay well I just I love I love fan dancing I love creating you know this classic act whatever um, I'll do a Botticelli's Venus act fantastic great but what can I do what can I really do that no one else has done before mm-hmm. and fewer people probably would be able to imitate mm-hmm. <laughs> and obviously unless you're a pianist yourself and I know that there are many great pianists but um, I don't know that many who would want to take their clothes off whilst playing um, why would they bother right yeah. <laughs> so yeah I, um, I um, came up with this idea of combining um, a piano piece Um, whilst removing garments at the same time and one of my all-time favorite classical pieces that I've been playing since I was about 14 years old is um, Chopin's Nocturne in C-sharp minor, the Mm -hmm. opus posthumous. Um, It's absolutely beautiful piece and I was like great so I'm taking my clothes off and getting not nude but near nude so Mm -hmm. I'm going to call it Naked Nocturne and boom 
that's how I'll package it. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I, I just it just went from there really. And there was one point at which we had a show where there was it was it was a private party and there were some guests there and one of them came up to me a lovely lady and said well I've never seen that before it's really fun I might want to book you again for another party and I was like great here's my number here's my card and then two weeks later she got in touch with me she was from the mail on Sunday and she was like I really really love that I've not seen that before I've I've not seen a piano act of this kind before in fact I'm just getting to know burlesque I'm doing an interview four page spread about burlesque um, in the Sunday papers, uh, can you please be interviewed for it? Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> amazing. And then from then, um, things just kicked off really. I think I got headhunted by other countries, uh, namely Ireland, mm-hmm. as what well, in the first instance that invited me over to do a load of shows and a TV show out there. And it's kind of haven't really looked back. I think um, it, it all came from just wanting to be a bit mad and do something a bit weird that um, a lot of people might not necessarily think of. So, so with that in mind, of course, in the movie Gypsy, which ins- which is uh, inspires a lot of um, artists, it's come up on several occasions, there's this notorious gimmick scene, and yeah. which is suggestive that a performer needs to have a trick up their sleeve to attract attention and stand out from their peers. So mm-hmm. as someone like yourself who has dedicated countless hours to becoming a concert pianist, what are your thoughts on merging one's skills to be seen as a collaboration of talents rather than as a gimmick? I absolutely um, think it's a collaboration of talents. Um, I think, don't get me wrong, I absolutely adore classic burlesque. I, there's, um, I get a lot of joy from watching girls do beautiful fan dances, girls doing sexy bump and grind sort of American influenced strip teases. That's all great, but I, I absolutely, my, my favorite type of burlesque is when somebody's combined an art form of a different genre with the art of burlesque, whether it's mm-hmm. aerial, whether it's, um, I don't know, it can even be a bit um, daring like sword swallowing or breaking glass whilst they're flicking bits of garments off or whatever it is. I think if you've got an existing talent and you combine it with the art of burlesque, then you just get that wow factor. I don't see it as a gimmick mm-hmm. at all. Amazing. And I would encourage any performer to incorporate anything they have into it. Awesome. Glad to hear your thoughts on that because it's always something, you know, it's such an iconic moment in the movie and everybody who's seen it knows of it. Sure. And I've always just, it's always just kind of sat a little bit uncomfortable with me because gimmick almost, it takes away the acknowledgement of what it takes to be able to do this other talent, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It almost demeans the um, hours of work that has gone into creating a show with a talent even you know in whatever form that talent might be expressed mm-hmm. maybe sometimes it is gimmicky in the sense that it's done in an ironic way mm-hmm. um, but then burlesque is meant to be a bit ironic anyway it's meant exactly. to be parody and that's what I try and do um, with my show I don't try and sit there pretending to be this concert pianist whilst flicking you know I just try and make a take take the mick a little bit you know mm-hmm. it's like it's you know I, I'm just taking the pick out of this taking the mick out of this um the often not all the time but often austere world of classical music and just you know throwing in or should I say throwing off a few extra bits you know <laughs> so yeah I completely agree with you there 
Yeah, one of my favorite terms as well, English terms, uh, taking the mickey. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, well, I'll, I'll try and use it as much as I can in this interview so you get your fair share of it. Oh no, I'm sure you've got plenty <laughs> more. I'm also, you know, down for the education. Okay, brilliant. Well, <laughs> likewise, likewise, um, I mean, I've uh, South Africa is one of the few places I haven't been to perform yet, mm -hmm. hopefully. So yeah, everything, and I, I've always wanted to go there. I've got a lot of dear friends. Um, that I met here and over in Australia who are South African. So yeah, um, educate me too, please. <laughs> <laughs> All good. And I think that that will happen, you know, like-minded folks like ourselves will definitely land on each other's shores. Absolutely. I, I'm 100% with that too. <laughs> so you mentioned your Naked Nocturne Act. How did you go about navigating the challenges of disrobing and then also still being engaged with the audience whilst playing the piano? Well, here is where um, the, the real honesty comes out, okay? Because I think for a long time, if you think about it, I've been doing that act since 2008, I came up with it. And um, I remember the first night I was performing it um, at a, um, a sort of big um, concert hall, rather, shall I say, a, a, a gig hall, you know, not quite a concert hall, in, is in West London. Mm -hmm. And um, I spent probably on and off six hours rehearsing it mm -hmm. <laughs> before having to perform it that night. And I remember thinking, you've got to get it right. And it was all about, it was all about for me, um, even dare I say it, getting the gimmicky part of it right. I was like, this has to be perfect and this has to, um, the glove has to come off at, at one point and the bustle has to come off perfectly when, you know, um, this is transposed into um, a major key and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I must admit, this is where I did go wrong because I didn't think, I was so nervous and so het up on getting it spot on that I didn't think about um, engaging with the audience as much. And I, and honestly, I think for a good few months or a year or whatever, I performed it at more as a, I guess almost you could say it as an installation piece. Uh, People would yeah. look at it, be mesmerized and be like, it's great. But I, I felt, uh, and looking back on it now, and you know, I just want to give myself a slap on the wrist, so you really should have tried harder to engage with the audience. But then the more I got confident with it, the more I started you know, winking at certain points or just making stupid looks whilst throwing a bustle off or just looking over my shoulder and just chucking something. You know, you learn that, don't you? You learn mm -hmm. on the job. And that's exactly what I did with this act, I learn on the job how to make more of a connection with the audience. Or, you know, if I'm playing something like there's a trill part, I extend the trill, look at the audience because they think um, I'm going to take something off and then I don't. I wait a few more seconds and then I do it and then that gets a laugh. And these are all things that you develop after a while, I think. Mm -hmm. And of course, no audience is the same. And even though ultimately um, you're there for one reason because you want to make them happy. Um, you actually learn to gauge each audience from the other. Like people generally in Australia and America are quite loud and encouraging. People in East Germany weren't. They were. It was like um, performing to people that were going to hear mm -hmm. uh, a Mozart symphony, and that's fine. You know, and sometimes you don't get the laughs at the points you were hoping for when you were engaging with the audience. But but that's okay as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it was very much a learning curve for me. To do I, that. I love also the idea of reworking and revisiting X, you know, 
a lot of people sometimes think that you always have to be in order to stay relevant and fresh you have to bring a new act all the time but mm. like i love the idea of when you like truly connect with one that is not necessarily something that just always kind of stays in your artillery as an artist exactly yeah yeah completely it's like that whole um that phrase if it ain't broke don't fix it mm-hmm. um you know i part agree with that but if you're going to fix it then just tweak it a little bit mm-hmm. you know you don't need to rework the whole thing as you said but funnily yeah. enough i did actually rework naked not turn in 2019 i just um i just changed um parts of the music so now it's a mashup of um chopin uh debussy's claire de lune because C sharp minor and D flat major are basically the same key in major minor. And then it goes into uh, Sweet Child of Mine because that's also in D flat major. So oh, it's wow. cut up into three sections. So yeah. So there's an example of not necessarily changing or bringing a new app, but just tweaking it a little mm-hmm. bit. Incredible. Yeah. That sounds exciting. I want to see that. You know, wish um, it was as simple as flying you over and just getting you down to a show. But <laughs> unfortunately, those times are a little bit um, far off yeah. at the minute, but hopefully not for too long. Yeah, I have faith, I have faith. I have as well, yeah. I have. So how is your passion for music and your half Italian heritage reflected in your performance style? Funnily enough, at the beginning when I was creating acts, the first thing I generally think about is the music. Mm-hmm. Like I would find themes that I wanted to work on say like you know my venus act or my rainbow act or whatever or even say creating a classic fan dance i think that a lot of burlesque performers quite rightly show should have that within their repertoire Mm -hmm. the first thing i'll think about before the costume before the choreography is the music Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure that's true with a lot of burlesque dancers but i also know a lot that will work on like um a lot of my dear friends um some of you you've interviewed already uh professionally trained dancers to a very high level they might think of the choreography first others might think of the costume first I will go straight to the music Mm -hmm. so I guess that's a very large part of um, the formation of an act of Mm -hmm. mine you know funny funny you say the half Italian heritage and obviously the the classical piano training mm-hmm. um i think the first couple of acts like the first version of venus i used um mozart's laudate dominum which is a vespa uh it's a it's a religious choral piece mm-hmm. um which is you know in a way doesn't quite if you think about it doesn't quite connect when you think you're you're doing something venus the goddess of love um, um alongside a religious choral piece but then when you hear the piece itself there's something in the sound it just sounds otherworldly you know heavenly very spiritual very very ethereal very very fantasy mm-hmm. as well so mm-hmm. i like i like to pick music that sa- that sounds very um atmospheric mm-hmm. um and not necessarily what you would what somebody that i guess hadn't seen that many burlesque shows would associate with burlesque Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. other times i'll use uh, metal you know i'm a a huge fan of rock and metal as well and yeah and other times i've combined some classical music with um dance uh old school dance tracks Mm -hmm. so yeah my my um my musical taste is a little bit all over the place but i'm i'm happy with that yeah i think (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this uh, the same goes for me like i think it's it's good to have a wide range of appreciation for all the the genres that are out there 
Absolutely. Yeah, variety is the spice of life. Absolutely. And I think even if you're the kind of person that knows what you like and prefers a genre Mm -hmm. to other genres, that's fine as well. But, you know, there's nothing wrong in being open to other genres and being like, yeah, I love that too. You know, I love that track. I'm not into this genre, but I, I love this track. So as Chris Columbine, the burlesque artist, are you portraying a character when you take to the stage that differs from Chris, the concert pianist? As with many, many burlesque performers, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a different character. I'd just say it's a, it's all obviously a slightly more enhanced version of myself. Um, and also depends on the act as well, because sometimes I think in, in different acts, we play different characters. In one act, we might be very demure, almost um, quite sort of doll-like other characters, um, especially if you're creating a Halloween act, you might be a bit more vamp. But I think that with me, let's just say, let's just use the piano act as an example. Mm-hmm. I'm just being very much a version of myself, somebody that in, is enamored my art, beautiful art forms, classical art forms, but also doesn't particularly want to take anything too seriously. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it is art, it's supposed to be enjoyed, and that's why sometimes I like to be a little bit feisty, a little bit silly in how I do things, mm-hmm. and in and, and how I present facial expressions, because at the end of the day, it's entertainment, you're supposed to have a laugh with it, mm-hmm. you know? And I, from the classical music world of it, sometimes, I have felt in the past that it can be almost stuffy to the point where it takes the the beautiful uh, artistic levels out. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's always judging you on the tiny little hint of a wrong note you might have gotten right or mm-hmm. wrong, or you know, did you did you um, play that diminuendo at bar seventeen, um, which probably isn't even the composer's original anyway because it's been edited two hundred times. It's like you know, <laughs> art shouldn't be about that, should it? It's yeah. like you're supposed to enjoy it. And for me, there's nothing wrong in um, here. It comes again, taking the Mickey out of yourself sometimes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and it's wonderful that burlesque like gives one the freedom to create when you are an artist to sort of challenge those norms that have been prescribed, especially when it comes to other more sort of ordained art forms. Absolutely. With burlesque, it's like you you are the director and the producer. You say what music is played. You say who goes on stage. Sometimes it's more than one of you. Um, you, know, you, you choose what to wear. You style everything. It really is, you know, a whole um, musical dramatic um, dance extravaganza in one person and one show. And that's what I love about it. It's just all about being larger than life and fabulous. Yeah. So that's actually a great segue into my next question, which is you've co-created a piano burlesque show at The Act in Dubai, as well as in 2015, The Art of Burlesque in Beirut. Did you ever experience any controversy when producing a show of a burlesque nature in the United Arab Emirates? It's funny because I was warned up to my eyeballs about it. Um, But when I got there, I had very good instructions. Obviously, the act was the sister club of The Box. Mm -hmm. And and I think being the sister club of The Box, it knew what it could and couldn't do from day one. Because, as you know, The Box in New York and London are very 
extreme yeah and they do believe in you know again some people might find it gimmicky but they believe in doing stuff that is so um out there and almost has a shock value mm-hmm. and that's great they've entertained so many people for years but with the act obviously there had to be a very toned down version of that mm-hmm. and um so i was told okay if you're going to fan dance you have to wear um a tunic like a, a body stocking uh, you have to if you're going to do your piano then we've got to make it as part of a story so that it's not going to be seen as um anything that could be sexual but honestly in my time i um no, I, I didn't have any trouble at all. Um, mm-hmm. No arrests, no, um, you know, derogatory shoutings from the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was quite impressed. <laughs> that, yeah. that went way smoother than I thought it was going to go. So, yeah, um, no, I, I, didn't get any, um, I didn't get any negativity at all. And I think with Dubai, when you get there, you realise that it's so multicultural it's such a transient place people from all over the world and when i say all over i really do mean all over the world from all continents just are passing through living there temporarily they're the ones that go out and and yes you do you do get some emiratis that are out sometimes but um you get saudis that are out and to be honest they're out there because uh, they can a lot of the time do not as much as um, they can in, in the in elsewhere other than their own country. So I think people that generally go out to see shows in Dubai are going to be pretty open-minded and they want to be entertained. Awesome. Um, I think that's great to also not shy away from necessarily what is thought of a place. Absolutely. It's awesome to hear that the audiences in the UAE aren't as conservative as we think they are. No, no, they're not. And I think it's getting even more so now. I mean, now that th- things have also slightly opened up in Saudi as well, as a few years ago when women were allowed to drive. And, mm-hmm. But I also think that people that haven't necessarily been to the Middle East, just like with every any other country that somebody might be anxious about going for some reason, mm-hmm. I think people who haven't been there have an exaggerated opinion of how they would see certain behavioural characteristics of, say, the West are. I, d- mm-hmm. I don't think, I think when you go there, you realise that um, it's obviously like, you, you don't go crazy, you don't get drunk in the middle of the street and take your clothes off, you know. Mm-hmm. Although, funnily enough, I did see um, quite a few friends. I mean, I haven't drunk in a long time, and by the time I'd gotten there, I'd stopped drinking already. But as you mm-hmm. some of my friends getting drunk and falling into cabs, I was a little bit, okay, it's something that I would, not necessarily do mm-hmm. there but it's actually pretty safe cool. um and lebanon's the same i mean even more apart from obviously a few places where there are the um i guess some extremist groups mm-hmm. lebanon is a uh, incredibly open country you know women are actually encouraged um to be the best versions of themselves when they're incredibly sexy they they look after themselves they have decent self-esteem they love beauty glamour you know they're very comfortable in their sexuality and they're well they're very comfortable in their sexiness and they love anything that's uh, entertainment glamour mm-hmm. um yeah i i think that when we went over to lebanon we were very very welcome and well met awesome what traits of your idol ludwig von beethoven do you incorporate in your life as a performing artist the most poignant one would be 
that um, to have a rule for yourself that there are no rules in art or what you're creating and if they're put in front of you then just if you feel that it's right and obviously you're not hurting anyone in the process then just break the rules Beethoven um, there's this um, anecdote about him um, whereby when you're when you're learning music theory and harmonies and how to compose music for instance uh, you're told not to put certain musical intervals one after the other like parallel fifths right mm -hmm. and apparently one of his students confronted him about that and then he was like well who says you're not allowed to use parallel fifths well from this moment I allow them you know <laughs> um, so it's that kind of attitude that I take if if I feel that something I'm creating is right and it's it's actually um, it's authentic then I'm gonna do it oh, I love that has there been a moment in your career thus far that like completely stands out? Probably um, a TV interview I did when I was being interviewed by two puppets. The Hodge and Pod um, show. The Podge and Rod show. Podge yeah, and that Rod. was. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a real eye opener. It was quite early on in my career. It mm -hmm. was it was crazy. Um, it was amazing. It was front of a live audience, but it was like. I knew who those puppets were when I was a kid because they used to do zig and zag on the big bre the, the the big breakfast or the breakfast show. No, it was the big breakfast, wasn't it? Yeah. It was so long ago, and they moved over to Ireland and did the Podge and Rod show. And I just remember, um, luckily for me, we did a rehearsal because I'd met the guys, really nice guys, um, doing the puppeteering. Mm -hmm. um, they were it's fine, the show's finished, so I can say this, but they were actually under the table and yeah. operating the puppets from there. And obviously, because I knew they were there, I just naturally kept looking down and like they were like, no, 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 eyes on the puppets. And yeah. um, just let's just say, thank God I did that rehearsal. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was quite, um, yeah, it was quite a unique experience being interviewed by puppets. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd recommend it. Yeah, it's quite a fun thing to tick off your bucket list. Yeah, um, I actually work sometimes as a sound recordist and boom swinger in film and television. There's a political satire show that happens here. The The person doing the interviews of political people is this puppet called Chester. And okay. I remember being like in the parliament buildings recording this interview and exactly the puppet asked the questions, the guy is under the table and this like political figurehead is at his desk. <laughs> it's quite oh, a, wow. a, an interesting scenario. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it does. That. Did he keep looking at the table as well, or no? Was that no, just no? No, no. He was quite <laughs> engaged with the 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 puppets. The puppets. Yeah, I mean, and so is was that I. A, I. I can imagine. Um, is that a bit like um, what we used to have here, spitting image? I've never seen spitting image, but so spitting image were basically um, highly caricatured puppets mm -hmm. of um, famous people. Uh, namely people we're talking about the 80s here so yeah. you know I just remember seeing like a puppet of say Princess Diana or the Queen or Maggie Thatcher Margaret Thatcher mm -hmm. um, and basically they would create very funny scenarios obviously some of them were quite wrong but you know that was that was the thing I mean this is this is something I do love about our humor it's like we actually have that allowance to um here it comes again, taking the mickey out of yeah. situations and, and people and people in power, I guess. Um, yeah, so I can understand why that would stick out as a unique experience in your career. <laughs> <laughs> as we're still in the grasp, of course, of a pandemic world, 
How is 2021 shaping up for you as a result of the trials of 2020? Well, where are we? April. So um, towards the end of last month, um, I think this speaks for itself, really. I had a, a chat with um, an amazing lady, funnily enough, who um, used to do stuff at the box and now she... Um, she does artistic direction from certain venues in London and she gave me the first two show dates for May and I was like yes <laughs> I've got some show dates coming up so basically that's that's been um 2021 so far if I if I get a booking I'm just like yay the world is coming back to the world that we all know mm-hmm. you know I'm just very um I just can't wait to get back on stage it's looking like obviously some of the plans I had to do the tour of America that I had for 2020 obviously mm-hmm. will be put on hold indefinitely. Um, I haven't been there since I think 2009 or 10, I can't remember. Oh, wow. But yeah, so any sort of plans and the um, the shows that we had pre, uh, well, in 2020, the start of 2020, mm-hmm. that may um, come into fruition later down the line, there's no point in trying to hold on to the hope that we might get our date soon because we just have to wait and see right now yeah. i think 2021 is all about being grateful for what you have in the pipeline mm-hmm. working hard for them um even if it's um you know even if a, a, a broad tour date won't come for a while even if it's a show at a local venue down the road or whatever whatever it is just enjoy it and almost make it out like you are Mm-hmm. Um, you're playing like you're planning a big tour or something I think it's all about falling back in love with um, what you did best you know and yeah. we all can't wait to be back on stage and I think if you're in that if you're in that mindset of treating every gig like it's the most precious because everything is precious now and I think so many of yeah. us have learned that then the, you know you can only 2021 and beyond can only get better yeah I 100% agree with that and I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as artists as well um, to kind of get to a certain point because of the nature of the industry as well you know you feel like you need to have a certain amount of recognition because you spend so much time doing said art form you know of course and then of course like when something so unprecedented happens I think that there needs to be that patience and understanding I mean I'm saying this (laughs) because I'm also it's something that I struggle with is to just accept that okay this is something that no one expected and the work you are doing now is still valid um, of course going forward and I guess I mean you know you're you know you're in the creative world yourself and I'm sure that doing what you do you've still had um, you've still had work to be getting on with because people still need to broadcast stuff right Mm -hmm. but I guess that you know every every job you do is still absolutely vital and it doesn't it just because it might not be something that you set your mind on doing or you fell in love with artistically you have to treat it that it's it's got no lesser creative value right yes and just be patient with this process because i from what i've seen Every time, of course, we are allowed to open up a little bit more in terms of our restrictions, our COVID restrictions, we always try to put on shows. And the one thing that I had been concerned about throughout 2020 was the possible, you know, with 
online and everything going online just like what would people's response be to live entertainment once again yeah um and it's been actually pretty positive and i feel even more so valued than before because in a way there was a little bit of a feeling that audience uh, audiences sometimes maybe take things for granted you know yeah whereas i feel like now they you know that going back to a more simpler way of doing things has actually maybe just opened up people's minds to you know what i actually really value this experience of going out and seeing a show and yeah. they are showing up when they when there is one yeah absolutely and even what you're saying about taking taking the process for granted even like doing things like everybody at some point uh, used to go out at a weekend night mm -hmm. or even a weeknight. Um, you know, dress up, you put your makeup on, you put your shoes on, you you know, you go out however you go out, you drive, you, you jump in a cab or you jump on a train or whatever. This, this is all stuff that uh, just happened on autopilot, right? Yeah. But I think now there'll be so many people that are excited to buy, right, what am I going to put on as my getting ready music? Oh my God, I'm going out. <laughs> what makeup am I going to do? Oh my God, I'm going to spend two hours deciding what to wear, but this is so exciting. I've yeah. got a chance to go out again. I think that that whole experience of going out to see a show is going to be a lot more um, exciting for people as well as the show itself. Cool. So I just like, you know, I just want that momentum to just continue forward. Yeah. You know, absolutely. A strong, absolutely. Stronger capacity. Because whatever anyone says, it's not the same online. Yeah, exactly. You know, nothing beats a live audience. And I probably, you know, obviously I'm biased because yes. yeah, I, I come from a generation that was um, pre everything digital you know mm -hmm. I remember mm -hmm. those phones that used to dial and pick up you know and if you weren't in you weren't in yeah <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> there was none of this tapping on your phone and you know FYI my um, phone is permanently on silent and all my notifications are off yeah. apart from text and call so you know I'm still trying to hold on to that world clearly <laughs> yeah. so yes going back to what you're saying live shows old normal please come back yeah well, Chris, we've come to the coda of this interview. So please, Amazing. can you tell us where we can find and support more of your work? Instagram, I guess, is a pretty good place to go. Mm -hmm. um, I shamelessly, I think, I from our previous, from the um, a few bars before of this interview before the coda, I think mm -hmm. you um, probably made a logical guess that I'm not the most online savvy tech person so mm -hmm. no fancy blogs on my website but i intend to do a little bit more of um i guess virtual talking mm -hmm. here and there so um yeah com. i also um have a music academy or talents music academy i also developed a personal training career i am a I am actually a qualified personal trainer throughout throughout the first lockdown mm -hmm. and seem to have carried on with that. So um, Instagram and my um, ccacademy.fitness has um, plenty of my other work on there. And I guess, what can we say? Let's just trust the process and um, see where 2021 will take us all. And I'm sure that I'll find some way that um, doesn't require too many digital skills to let people know where my work can be found yeah <laughs> onwards and upwards <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, well thank you chris columbine for joining me on this episode of what's the tease it has been an absolute pleasure
Thank you so much, Pillow. It's been an amazing Monday evening. We'll talk to you. <laughs>